Hebrews 13, and we're looking at verse 4. We began last week speaking about marriage. Um, but it's not just been, as I looked at Hebrews 13, this section has sort of taken on a series inside of the series of Hebrews. And that's, that's sort of sub-series that we're thinking about or considering is that of a, what is a Christian worldview? And this week, last week we spoke about marriage, which is very much a part of our lives. Last week, or last week was marriage. This week we speak directly to the marriage bed, which also is very much a part of our lives and the world around us. And next week, well not next week, but the next time we're back here in Hebrews, we'll speak of money. And wealth and the love of money, very much again, all around us in the world. And so I want us to, and I was telling Sylvia, I said, I've not done a, a good job in bringing to y'all over the last two years or so what it is to have a Christian worldview, what it looks like, how it's supposed to be formed. Uh, no, we've talked about it maybe in general, but we've not really put a name to it. And so. Uh, Sort of as uh, you're putting a hammer into a piece of wood, you really know that the first go at it, the first whack or two, you really got to lay it in. And so that's sort of what we're doing in Hebrews 13 is we're really getting a hard look at what a Christian worldview is. But hopefully after that, to finish nailing that in, it's just a steady pace. So as we go on... Uh, from here on out, always trying to come back and think, okay, so how should this text, how should this teaching of Paul or Jesus or this this story in the Old Testament, how should it shape the way we view the world, how, how we live, how we respond to things? And I know if you if you keep up with the news and if you've not wanted to keep up with the news because of the way the, the things are going on in the world, I understand, but... Uh, Sometimes a little pain is helpful to know how one ought to react and behave. And so I, I want to, number one, Jesus would not be pleased if you've decided to just not know what's going on in the world. Because he's left us in the world for a reason. John 17. And so to say, God, I don't really care what's going on in the world. I'm just going to do my thing. It's really to go against why he leaves us here. So just understand that we are here for a reason. And how we navigate this world is very much shaped by our worldview, which is ought to be shaped by the word of God. Because that is your direct access to the mind of God, the thoughts of God, his word. So if you've been paying attention over this week, it's been quite a quite a week. We've had topics such as um, transgenderism, gun control, and justice and law, uh, basically taking shape out of two different events that are unfolding uh, on the world stage, and the world definitely is watching. Um, the question is, is how do you view those things? How do you form an opinion on the transgender discussion? 
how do you form an opinion on gun control or on justice, things that are going on in the courts of our country? How do you have an opinion? What is it based on? It needs to be based on the word of God. It needs to be formed and fashioned by the wisdom and the truth and the instructions of the scriptures. Now, you're not going to find a passage that says this is how you should think or vote on this issue or that issue. But it is very much true that if you are in the whole counsel of God, you are shaped to think a certain way. And you think, well, I don't want someone to tell me how to think. You do want God telling you how to think. Very much so. If you believe that this is God's word, which it is, then you must believe that it should shape how you view and interact in life. So uh, just that's just a reminder of the, our understanding and of what it means to have a Christian worldview. Now, I could tell you how to think about those things. And hopefully what I tell you is based on how I have been shaped and what I see in Scripture. But I need you to believe the Word of God first. I need you to be in the Word of God. You to be shaped and fashioned and molded and renewed by the Scriptures. Because we talked about this in our men's meeting. You live in this world and you're not able to think They will think for you. The world will think for you. You must be ready to have discernment and make decisions that glorify God, not make your life easier or seem easier or comfortable. So the first topic was marriage, and we spoke about marriage last week, and I just have... Sort of have to set the stage about what we discussed. A rapid fire remind you of what we talked about last week. How does God define marriage? Well, first he says, verse 4, let's read it. Let's just do this. Let's read verse 4 and then ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Father... Preach to your sheep. Give ears to hear and eyes to see. Take your truth and express it through my words. And might your people be strengthened and conformed. And might those who are lost be found. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last week was, what is marriage? Why should we honor it? How can we honor it? Uh, And we define marriage just with a Bible verse. Um, The way Moses defined it. The way Jesus defined it. The way Paul defined it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And we divided that into two aspects. Sort of two components of marriage. That these two things must exist for God to acknowledge marriage. A covenant commitment, number one, which we might just refer to as covenant, and number two, a consummation, the consummation of the marriage. One of the aspects 
The covenant commitment is public. The son, the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The world should see this. And we see it in our vows, in our weddings, in our ceremonies. But then the private aspect is the sealing of that covenant, the consummation of the marriage within the marriage bed. Both are necessary and present in marriage. Yes, the order matters, and yes, both are necessary. And you're going to understand why as we continue on this morning. God has blessed us with marriage for His glory and our good. That was another big takeaway. God has blessed us with marriage for His glory and our good. How is it for His glory? Number one, it was to accomplish His purpose in creation. Go, therefore, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. And the the image bearers that you create in your marriage will go forth and fill the earth full of the glory of God. That was his purpose. Now, there are many purposes to marriage, but that we see as very important. Number two, to reflect God's covenantal love. God is in covenant with people, and he has been since the garden. His relationships with people have always came in the shape of covenants. And we know that God, as we read in Psalm 118, so I wasn't expecting Psalm 118 to have any effect on what we're talking about, but what about his steadfast love? It endures forever. His covenantal love is steadfast and endures forever. It is eternal. He is faithful. And marriage is to be a small image and reflection of his faithful love towards his people. And so husband and wife, your love, your never-ending, unchanging love for your spouse is to be a reflection of God's love for his covenant people. That's for his glory, to accomplish his purpose and creation and also to reflect his covenantal love. Number two, for our good, there were four things, a deep companionship, mutual enjoyment, shared activity, and then covenantal commitment so that you have all of that with one person till death do you part. How do we honor marriage then we ask? Well, you must have a biblical worldview of marriage, a biblical understanding, and you must not just know it, but then strive to live by that worldview, by that understanding. And that you're all in for how God defines marriage. You're all in. All in for the glory of God and all in ready to sacrifice your life for the sake of covenantal love. Because isn't that what marriage is? A giving of yourself for someone else? Is that not the greatest form of love? So we must be all in uh, for this. We also understand that this is the greatest way to affect culture. By growing our families in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. By loving our wives and raising our children. By making tiny disciples who go forth and make disciples of all the nations. Who stand for truth. That's how we have the greatest effect on this world. Number two, which then goes forward, we do want to honor marriage in society, understanding, number one, that love is not always good. God actually commands us not to love in some ways. Do not love the world, the things therein. We'll reflect on a little bit later. 
Do not fear man, but stand in truth, in love, and be teachers. Be true to the Great Commission. Don't just go and tell about Jesus, but teach those who who trust in Him to obey all of His commands. Teach about marriage. That gets us caught up to the second and third phrase that's in our passage. He says, if you look at it, let marriage be held in honor among all. That was one. Number two and number three is, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So, do not defile the marriage bed. What's the big deal here? What's the big deal about the marriage bed? Now, we have to realize and understand it is a necessary defining element to marriage. It absolutely is. If marriage is created and set apart for God for his glory and our good, we must understand that the marriage bed is in the same position. The marriage bed is sacred. Therefore, the sexual aspect of marriage is also sacred. It's where the covenant is consummated or completed or sealed. It's where the, the, the public proclamation of commitment is signed in private. The marriage bed is where two become one flesh. What God has brought together, let no man separate. But not only that, the act of consummation, the marriage bed, carries forth the purpose of God in creation. It does His will and purpose in creating new image bearers to spread His glory throughout His creation. So we can see that marriage, the marriage bed plays a part in the two aspects of marriage that bring glory to God. But the point of the passage is is we're told not to defile the marriage bed. And to understand how it can be defiled, we must understand God's intentions, God's desire, God's purpose and will, which means we have to hold up how it's defiled, how the, view, how the world views the marriage bed, or, or, and then how God views it. How God views sex and how the world views sex. God's created intended place for sex is confined to this very place, the marriage bed. But think about it and meditate on how the world is trying to reshape our understanding of it. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. Sexual relationships outside of marriage is sin. And the world is saying, huh. In so many ways, it's disturbing. What has happened? What has happened at the most base, basic definition? The world has taken these two aspects of marriage, covenant commitment and consummation, and said, apart. They're not necessary to be together. 
They've said the consummation, the physical aspect of consummation is ours to have and to do with it as we please. And what has happened is the world, in doing so, has begun to worship sex. Now, it's not begun like in the last year or two. But you read the you read history, you read the Old Testament, you understand that this has been from the very beginning. It has become so far removed from the confines of marriage that society says it's actually unhealthy to live a life without freely and openly fulfilling these types of needs and desires. They say if you make us hold these two things together, consummation and covenant commitment, you are oppressing us. You are denying our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. God says that's foolish. It's being stated that it's a human right for one to be able to sexually express themselves however and whenever they want. Sex is no longer an expression of covenant commitment between a man and a woman, but it has become a public pagan act of self-worship. And the sad thing is, is that we participate in it. We've been conditioned by culture to think that's right. And if you evaluate your lifestyle, you might realize in certain ways you are participating. You are participating in this sort of understanding of the marriage bed. We've been conformed to this world. Signs of that conformity. Signs of defiling the marriage bed. The porn industry. Now I'm going to read you some statistics. Put your seatbelts on. How we spend our money. The porn industry generates more income than the combined revenues of ABC, NBC, CBS, and more than the combined revenues of the NFL, the NBA, the MLB. In the U.S., the porn industry generates between $15 billion and $97 billion a year. Every second, $3,075 is being spent on pornography. What about our time? How we spend our time. More people view internet pornography every month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. In 2016, people watched 4.6 billion hours of pornography at just one of the more than 42 million pornographic websites. That's equivalent to 524,000 years spent watching porn in one year. How early do we expose our children? 93% of boys and 63% of girls will be exposed to internet porn before the age of 18. And I would hesitate, I wouldn't hesitate to say that most of even Christians would say, nah, that's just the way it is. 
The average age of first exposure is 11 years old. Some surveys say 8 years old. How pornography has crept into our local church. This is the last bit of the statistics. A recent survey found that 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women are addicted to porn. That means that in church with 100 adults, 25 men and 10 women are struggling with porn. So, parents and grandparents, take back your children. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but you must not, you must guard your children. Phones, they don't need them. They don't need them. They're the window, they're the door to sexual immorality. Social media, no, they don't need it. Adults, you struggle with both already, and you think your children can handle it. No way. And remember what Jesus said about those who make these little ones sin. We must fight for our children. We must guard our children. But it begins with yourselves. It begins with yourselves. But teach your children about the sacredness and beauty of biblical marriage and the marriage bed. Teach them the word of God. And you have to fight the current. You have to push upstream. You cannot go with the flow. Right? Because that's the way the world is going. Hey, your kids don't have Facebook? That's so weird. No. Okay, sure, it's weird. But I don't care. Your kids need a phone. They're in sixth grade, and what happens if they need you? I'm pretty sure they could get a hold of me. Our kids don't need these things. They need them like they need an amputated leg. If they have healthy legs. We don't need what the world has to offer. And that doesn't mean we can't redeem these things. But our children aren't ones to test that theory. We're to protect our children. Sexual relationship without the covenant commitment. We push forward here. Sexual relationships without the covenant commitment is the exact opposite of God's design for marriage and the exact opposite purpose of the marriage bed. I've got a couple passages in 1 Corinthians. I want you to see this. I want you to understand how these words that define we use to define marriage are also used to show us the connection between consummation and and marriage, covenant commitment. First Corinthians chapter six. We'll start there. Just a verse or two. I, you know, spend some time in First Corinthians chapter six, seven, and eight. You, we need it. We need it greatly. First Corinthians six chapter first Corinthians six verse sixteen. Okay, keep in mind the definition of marriage, covenant 
consummation. Uh, leave father and mother, join to, and cleave to his uh, wife. The two shall become one flesh. Verse 16. Or do you not know that he who is joined or holds fast to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Do you see the overlap of the definition of marriage and that warning of holding fast, becoming one? In this act with a prostitute, what is being said here? That you're attempting a relationship divided from its true intention. Covenant commitment and consummation. You've removed the marriage bed from the marriage. But you have sinned against your own body because... You have become one with whom you have laid with. Now this doesn't even get into the idea of adultery, which we will hear in a minute. Consummation without covenant is sexual immorality. You split the two. You find yourself in the category of sexual immorality. Now we know this is bad. Because the Bible says so. And if we just stay in this section or we go back to Hebrews 13, don't yet. We'll go there. The next line is God judges the sexually immoral. So we have to know that to split these two covenant commitment and consummation puts us in the category of sexually immoral. If you are in a sexual relationship with someone outside of the bonds of marriage, sever it now, today. Confess it and repent of it because you are in sin and in grave danger of judgment, which we'll talk more about in a minute. I look at chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians, verses 1 through 4. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Again, to reinforce the reality that that sex is for marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 4. Now concerning these matters about which you wrote, is it, or is it good for a man to have sexual relations with a woman? That was the, the, their question. And he answers, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own own wife and each woman her own husband the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise his wife to her husband for the wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body but the wife does so where is there room for anybody else none the conjugal rights means you owe it to them. Your body is for your spouse, and your spouse's body is for you. It is their right. Do not give that right to anyone else. To do so 
makes you sexually immoral. This includes porn. This includes lust. Whether you're married or unmarried, it doesn't matter. Hear Proverbs 5. Hear, I mean hear it. Listen. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Do not look at another one with lustful intentions, for it puts you in the same category as one who has lied with a prostitute. We know this from Jesus' very own words. But we move on to, to uh, adultery. Let's go back to Hebrews 3. Now, you might be saying, Luke, you're preaching to the choir. I've never once done this or thought this, which we might want to have a discussion about if you said that. But what I also am trying to do is help you shape your view of the world, not just your marriage bed, but of the world. When we see the world acting against this, our response shouldn't be, well, at least I'm doing the right thing. No. No. We're here to be light, salt among this world. We're here to stand in truth of this world. We are to hate the wickedness of this world. All right, back in... Chapter 13 of Hebrews. So he says, let the marriage bed be undefiled. And we're getting our two categories from that latter half, that latter phrase. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So a, a word about adultery. Now we understand that there's a lot of overlap between these two categories. And uh, so there's not a lot more to say. But what is the defining aspect of adultery? Again, you got to go back to our definition. Covenant and consummation. What's the what do we do in adultery? We say goodbye to the covenant. And typically it's for the sake of what? The physical. We say goodbye to him or her that we have made this covenant with as we go to fulfill the physical desire with someone we have not made a covenant commitment with. Now, as, all, as we're talking about this, and you're just like, man, this is so awkward, this is so weird, I just want you to remember the, the, words, of, of, the words of Paul. This is a mystery, but it refers to Christ and his bride, the church. Like, we, cannot set, we cannot get away from that and realize that your call to marriage, your love between your husband and your wife, your faithfulness is to reflect and image the faithfulness of Christ to His church. Especially you, husband. The man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, his one wife. And Jesus quoting this passage, the two shall become one flesh. He says, then what? What God has joined together, let no one separate. Adultery 
is the the selfish act of breaking covenant commitment. Why? For sake of self-gratification. Some of you, some of us, someone might actually call it love. But we know that to love someone in a covenantal way, apart from one you've already made a covenant to, is not right. One man, one woman. Adultery for the sake of self-gratification, whether it be love, pleasure, whatever it be, it is sin. Married ones, porn fits in this category as well. Romance novels that go too far fit into this category as well. Have you ever, just to, the statement you hear when someone finds out about someone who has committed adultery and the statement has said he wasn't faithful. She wasn't faithful. How parallel is that to the language of Christianity? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. He is faithful. Even when we are unfaithful. What are we called to be to God through Jesus Christ? Faithful. So again, we connect Christianity, the work of God through the Son, to His people. And we see that marriage is so much a reflection As He is holy, we ought to be holy. As He is faithful, we ought to be faithful. Even to our spouses. And there's... You might be saying, Luke, I'm not even married. Again, your friend might be. And your friend might be going through something. Your daughter or, or son might be having a rough patch in their marriage. You might get married again. You might be able to give wisdom to your grandkids. Just because you're not in this current situation does not mean that you are not, that doesn't mean that you cannot be a participant in standing and sharing the truth of the Bible when it comes to this very topic. But in both these instances, sexual immorality, and we're finishing up here, self is exalted. Self is being worshipped. When we have a culture who is infatuated with sex, we have to understand that what they're truly infatuated with is themselves. God's intentions and purpose for marriage in this sort of culture are forsaken. God's glory is thrown out the door. No thank you. The image of his covenantal love, tainted, trampled upon. All for the sake of temporary pleasure and satisfaction, physically or emotionally. 
But not only that, we come back full circle. When you love your spouse and raise your kids in Christ and the nurture and admonition of the Lord and you have an effect on generations and future generations in the culture, when you go against this and you live in sexual immorality, you live in adultery, you go against marriage as seen in the scriptures, you have generational consequences that cannot be taken back. And you affect the culture in ways that you cannot reverse. You cannot expect to go against God's will and there not be consequences in your life and in the lives of the people around you. The final thing in our passage, it says God will judge. Just remember this. God will have his say. You might be hiding it now. But God will have the final word. The, defi- the defilement of the marriage bed is done in darkness and in secret. And why? Because those who do evil are trying to hide their evil deeds. Evil hates the light. It exposes them to the truth. The truth. The truth is the light that exposes. And that's why all of us must Stand on the truth and know the truth. Because when we stand on the truth and know the truth, God does his work in and through us and exposing the very thing that he hates. God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You might have tricked someone, kept it from someone, but you have not kept it from God. And so again... The worldview note here is we take our shaped understandings of scriptures to the world, filling the world full of light. Okay? Filling the world full of light. Again, I'm getting personal here. If you you find yourself in one of these categories today, the statement's true. You can run, but you can't hide. You might run the rest of your life, but one day you will be found out. For God will stand, for you will stand in God's presence, naked and exposed, and His words will pierce through your joints and your marrow and your soul and your spirit, and you cannot hide, and you will give account to all, all of your deeds. And that judgment will be hard and swift. As 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, idolaters, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkard, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. If you're living in in sexual immorality right now and do not repent of it, you will not see one glimmer of the kingdom of God. You will not see a God in his steadfast love, but you will see him in his anger and his wrath. There is no gray area. There is no gray area for the adulterer and the sexually immoral. James says, you adulterous people, you who know not the friendship with the world is enmity, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
And if you're a student of James, you know that he's not necessarily talking about the marriage bed or marriage. But he's just talking in the context of faithfulness to God. The sexually immoral and adulterer is unfaithful to God. The sinner, the unrepentant sinner, is unfaithful to God. To be unfaithful in marriage is to be unfaithful to God. To defile the marriage bed is to be unholy in the sight of God. And God says, be holy as I am holy. Because the judgment will fall on the faithless and the unholy. And we know what Acts 12.29 says and that God is a consuming fire. And we know that that what stokes that fire is his holiness. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And there's the good news. There's the good news, people. The gospel, the escape from judgment, is the will of God. One God, one way, one truth, one body, one hope, one faith, one baptism. Jesus Christ, the truth, the way, the light, the life. The bread of life. He has died for the sexually immoral. He has died for the adulterer. He has died for the faithless and the unholy. Therefore, come to him. Come to the light and repentance. Of your lustful thoughts. Your addictions to porn. Your unfaithfulness to your spouse. Come to the light now while it is still Found as today is to today, he has bore the sin of your infidelity and your unholy lifestyle, and he stands ready to give you life and to take away your sin and to give you his righteousness. And you no longer will be called an idolater, adulterer, or sexual immorality, but you will be called a saint. You will be called the bride of Christ, and you would have a husband who is forever faithful. And this is what. The husband who is forever faithful does. He will cleanse you. He will dress you in white and love you and cherish you and nourish you. And in him you will be presented not unholy and faithless, but you will be presented without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish. Be counted among the church here today. Whom remembers the church who remembers who they once were. But they rejoice in the words that say, and such were some of you. You were washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so repent of your sins this morning. Christian. Ask the Lord to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And for those who are lost and apart from Christ, trust in Him and come into the body of Christ and be joined as the bride of Christ. But only as you come to Him in faith 
to the cross, clinging to Him and nothing else. And when we're transformed by this good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will transform your understanding of marriage and the marriage bed. One man, one woman, faithful and covenant commitment to one another, honoring not just their marriage, but their marriage bed as holy, which has been given to them for their good and for the glory of God. And remember that we honor marriage and keep the marriage bed undefiled by following Christ on his narrow path that leads to righteousness. And this is what he says. Everyone hear me. And then we'll close in prayer. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so come to Christ this morning. And we, church, we come to Christ this morning as we come to the table to acknowledge, to remember, to worship and celebrate the body which which was given to us and the blood that was broken to seal this everlasting covenant that you find yourself in. Think about this this week. That you are married in a relationship with the faithful God of the universe. And He is nourishing you and cherishing you. And it is all sealed with the blood of His Son. And what can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing. Nothing. And so we come together as the church, as believers... We come to the table acknowledging Christ Jesus our Lord. Acknowledging our oneness in the body. And so come to this table if you are a Christian. If you are one who trusts in Christ but do not dare come if you use His name in vain. Do not come if you are not in Christ. For you take of His table unworthy. So this table is open for all who are in Christ this morning. But I also want to remind those who are outside of Christ that his body, his blood was shed for sinners like you. Brother Dan, will you come forward? Pray for the elements and bless our table. Before I pray, just a reminder, we'll start in the back and come up through the center.